pointing out the struggle we have in trusting the Lord, here's Pastor Ed Taylor. We'll trust God to save our soul, but we don't trust Him to help us with our bills. It's just the reality of life. We don't trust Him with our health or with our kids. We want to take control because we, we think we have better wisdom than God. No, God, you take care of the eternal part. I'll take care of the temporary part. And what Paul's going to tell us, he's going to know, God's going to take care of it all. It's an all or nothing kind of proposition here. Jesus, he died to save all of you, not just part of you. And he wants you to surrender it all. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You I'm sure you've heard it before. If God can handle the greater things of our life, he certainly can handle the lesser. The logic is sound, but the struggle to surrender those things is very real. Well, we'll get some help with that today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. And we'll find that as we continue in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. But before we get there, Pastor Ed will raise the question of where to find the will of God and the ability of the Word of God. Discovering the will of God, it's found in God's Word. You know, every time we open the Word of God, we are changed, even if we don't see it right away. Each time we read it, every time we memorize it, as we meditate upon it, as we hear it, as we receive it, change is taking place. Change on the inside that will lead to change on the outside. There are things going on, even as we open the Bible today. We'll notice 2 Timothy chapter 3. There's things going on, even right now, as we look at verse 16, that the Word of God alone can do. Not the words of man, not a church, not a movement, not a gathering, but God using His Word through His Spirit to bring change. Notice it says, verse 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. So how much Scripture is given by inspiration of God, church? All. All. Very good, very good. Ah, oh, that felt good. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. God's Word, all of it is inspired. You know how sometimes you'll talk to people, uh, you'll tell them about your relationship with Jesus, you'll tell them about a Scripture that maybe God gave you, or you might even open your Bible to start to talk to them, and their response, some responses come back like, well, I can't believe the Bible. It's just men wrote the Bible. And you get the picture of like a bunch of guys in robes around a campfire writing the Bible, right? <laughs> well, what do you think? It should say Moses? I don't know, Abraham. You know, they, they all didn't even live together for that matter. The Bible says that it's all inspired. You can circle that word inspired and write next to it, God breathed. Because the answer is yes, men did write down the words of God as they were inspired by him. God, he spoke through these men so that there might be a written record of his will for our lives. And so all of scripture is inspired of God, all of it. There's not one part of the scriptures that isn't inspired by God. That means Leviticus is inspired by God. 
Malachi, Matthew, Revelation. And we happen to be in a fellowship family where we take the Word of God very seriously. And our goal here, my goal as a pastor, is to take you from Genesis all the way to Revelation. I don't know how long it's going to take. You might just have to hang around for a while to get there. But there's one day that I would look forward to saying, before you as a church, I have not shunned to give you the whole counsel of God. And even if you've joined us later on, like we started way back in 1999, starting through the Bible and teaching through it, and maybe you've just become a part of the fellowship family recently, well, it's all up on the web if you want to catch up. Eight years worth of Bible studies all up there. So if you want to go for it, I say do it. I say jump in and learn the Bible with us. It's exciting and profitable. See, just as much as all Scripture is inspired, notice, all Scripture is also profitable. All of it. Every single time we open the Word of God, it is profitable. And if you're taking notes, there are four things I want you to see here that the Bible is profitable. The first one, it says, it's profitable for doctrine. And that simply means it's profitable to teach us the truth about God. Right teaching. The truth about God. Where do we find out the truth about God but in God's Word? Let me just, well, let me just warn some of you that might be caught up in a movement on the earth today, and it really is global, a movement on the earth to teach what they say is truth about God but isn't truth at all. We have a, well, we have a new false teacher on the horizon. Very popular person has the ear of millions. You know what her name is? Oh, wow. Yeah. Yes, it is. Oprah has decided that she is going to be the one that teaches us truth about God. Reject her. Just don't listen. It's new age pantheism. It's an old lie packaged in new technology. That's all it is. And reject her and all the new guests in the Book of the Month Club. Just say no. The Bible teaches you the truth about God. Even if someone's really popular and says, well, you know, I don't think Jesus is the only way to God. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's unfortunate. We need to pray for that woman. She has great influence. We need to pray for her because she's rejecting her own biblical roots. She was sitting in a room by her own account, sitting in a room just like you, listening to a message about the blood of Jesus Christ and sin in this world. And in her mind, she couldn't reconcile it, so she made a decision to reject it. It's the same temptation that may come to you. I don't like hearing about sin. I know, but you got to. And I don't like hearing about the blood that was shed from Jesus on that cross. We need to redefine that. No, we don't need to redefine it. We need to embrace Jesus Christ because that's why he came to die for your sins and mine. You need to be real careful, gang, because false teachings come from all different, all different directions. It doesn't just have to say it's Christian. You know, the big phrase today is it's spiritual. But the Bible, all of it, is inspired of God and the Bible teaches us the truth about God. Even to the point where I say, and I continue to encourage you, anything I say, test it by the word of God. Everything I say, 
Test it by the word of God. You hear something, you go, you know what? I don't think that was in the word. Well, good. Let's sit down. Let's talk about it. I might be right. You might be wrong. You might be right. I might be wrong. But I'll tell you what. I'm willing to let the Bible settle it for me. I'm willing to yield to the scriptures. I don't want to be wrong. I don't want to go in a wrong direction. And neither do I want you to go in a wrong direction. So just remember this. No matter who's trying to feed you a lie that might be wrapped in a little bit of a truth, you got to come back to the scriptures. Not the latest bestseller that's stacked up on the end cap at Costco. You know it's there, right? I know it was there because we were at Costco not too long ago. And, and I, when, I go, when I go, I'm in and out, man. I know where everything is. I'm not looking around. I'm in and out. But if I'm joining my wife, we're not so in and out as fast. <laughs> is that true for some of you guys or is it just me? All right. Just want a little male bonding here right now. So, you know, as I'm waiting for my wife to find what she's, you know, just look and just enjoy Costco, I'm leaning a lot like, I'm leaning like this, you know, waiting, just watching people. I like watching people, so I I like hanging out there. So I'm leaning. You know what I'm leaning on? That dumb book that Oprah's, she's promoting. And so when I saw it, I went like this. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But it's all right there. Everybody's buying it. It's the hottest thing, but it's going to come and go, and the Word of God is going to stand true. And so, amen. So just be careful. Just be careful. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is inspired of God, and it's profitable to teach us the truth about God. Doctrine. Secondly, notice, it's also profitable for reproof. Now, whether you know what reproof is or not, I know you don't like it. Reproof. Reproof is teaching us what's wrong. Showing us in our own lives what's wrong. I believe right here, because the Bible does that so often, that's why people don't like the Bible. They don't want to know anything that's wrong about themselves. But the Bible's true. It can show you, compared to who God is, will show you in your life what's wrong. What's wrong with your attitude? What's wrong with your heart? That's why you can look so good on the outside, and nobody's able to pinpoint what's going on in your life. But when you open the word of God, it shoots right to the heart. Like every story speaks to you. Every situation's all about you. And we don't like reproof. But the Bible's profitable for it. It's important. That's why we believe here at Calvary in biblical counseling. Not humanistic counseling, biblical counseling. Because the word of God is able to cut through all that junk and get right to the heart of the matter. And the Bible's profitable notice for correction. I love that about God. Because it could just stop there. It's profitable for what's right with God and what's wrong with you. You're on your own. But that's not where it stops. He says now it's profitable correction. And so this is teaching us how to fix what is wrong. That's cool. Because there are a lot of things that God wants to fix in our lives. Wants to put us on the right track. Wants to help us with. And the Bible is profitable for that. All of Scripture is profitable to teach us about God. Doctrine. To teach us about ourselves. Reproof. To correct us. And you know, we all go through seasons of correction. All of us do. Some of them are longer than others. Some of them stick around. And God's even going to use the situations in your life to correct you. To reveal things about me. And say, okay, Ed, now considering all the circumstances have changed, do you still feel the same way? Well, no, God, I don't. What's going on? What direction do I need to go? And then, notice, it's also profitable for instruction in righteousness. This is teaching us how to maintain what we've corrected, (laughs) how to stay right. 
If correction helps us to get right, then instruction in righteous helps us to stay right in a world that's going wrong. And Romans, the time that we've had in Romans, is one of those books that just will change you from the inside out. Romans is the source of so many revivals in all of church history. You'll recall, we've mentioned it many times before, the Protestant Reformation began with one man and one book, Martin Luther, the book of Romans. And it just exploded in him. First God dealt with him, and then, said, then God said, I want to use you to deal with my church. And he rose up for righteousness. Men like Augustine and Tyndale, John Wesley, countless of millions others, including ourselves, has been touched by the book of Romans. And I know it's been a long time going through Romans. We've studied through the first 11 chapters, and it's been a powerful time. Remember, Romans opens up with the wrath of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then he says, well, wait a minute. There's a solution to the wrath of God, the grace of God. As God, he provides a way out and a forgiveness for our sins. And then he goes into Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11, and he speaks to us about the plan of God. And he uses as an example of his faithfulness the nation of Israel. And he says, every time you think of Israel, think of faithfulness. Think of God's faithfulness because God's not done with Israel. And now in chapter 12, we turn a corner where we're going to get very applicational. We move from deep doctrine now to deep action. And our actions are going to flow from this right understanding of God. And with all that God has taught us through our brother Paul, in chapter 12, if you look at that with me, verses 1 and 2, we're left with two choices. Not six choices, not ten choices, but with all that we've learned of God, we're left with just two choices. Let's read... We're going to read verses 1 and 2 together. You guys ready? Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. We're going to read it together, and it's left us with just two choices. So Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed... Okay, don't, come on, keep going. It's good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So the question is, what is the will of God? Well, we're going to learn how to live out the perfect, the acceptable, and the good will of God. And here are the two choices. After all that we've learned about God, wherever you've picked up with us in the study, after all that we've learned about God, your choice is, number one, to be conformed to this world. There are a lot of Christians that are conformed to this world. It's sad because you can go into a group of people and you won't be able to identify the Christian because they look just like the world and they sound just like the world and they live just like the world. It shouldn't be so. The Christian should affect the world, not the world, the Christian. But that's a choice. You're going to have to make it yourself. You're going to have to come to some conclusion in your own heart what kind of Christian life you want to live, how you want to represent Jesus Christ. Or the alternative is to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, to be a different person, to be really open for God to do a work in your heart, to change you, to, to wrestle with the things in your life and give them up and offer them to God as you offer yourself as a living sacrifice. Those are the choices before us, the will of God. I mean, the question, the questions surrounding the will of God are very common for us. What is the will of God for my life? 
what do you want me to do, Lord? How do I find the will of God? God, what would you have me to do in this situation? Where would you have me to live? What would you have me to do? How would you have me to act? What answer do you want, want me to give this person? What's your will? How does this situation, God, fit in your plan for my life? I don't see it. I want to know. They're common. We all ask them. I would dare say that we as Christians ask those questions just about every day of our life. Things come up like, what's your will for my life, Lord? I don't, I don't understand. It's amazing, though, because on the one hand, we have no problems with God's eternal will for us as Christians. There are very few Christians you go up to and say, hey, what's God's eternal will for your life? I mean, if you were to die tomorrow, where would you go? If they're a Christian, they're going to say, I'm going to heaven. I'm spending eternity with God. He sent his only begotten son to pay the price for my sins. I'm confident in that. I trust in that. And I would say, unless it's a really a bad day for you, you don't have a problem with that question. You're like, yeah, I know where I'm going. I know what God's doing in my life. I trust God for the eternal part of my will, of his will for my life, the eternal part of my life, I trust him. But when it comes to the temporary things, that's where we have a great lapse in our faith. <laughs> like we'll trust God to save our soul, but we don't trust him to help us with our bills. It's just the reality of life. We don't trust him with our health or with our kids. We want to take control because we we think we have better wisdom than God. No, God, you take care of the eternal part. I'll take care of the temporary part. And what Paul's going to tell us, he's going to know, God's going to take care of it all. It's an all or nothing kind of proposition here. Jesus, he died to save all of you, not just part of you. And he wants you to surrender it all. And we're going to break down these verses over the next few weeks in each section, looking at a section how it all fits together in discovering the will of God for our lives. So right here in verses 1 and 2, you have some very specific instructions. Then Paul's going to follow it with the rest of the chapters from 12, 13, 14, and half of 15. He's going to give us instruction on the will of God in more general terms. So for instance, he's going to say, later after dealing with us personally, he's going to give us insight on God's will for our lives in relation to spiritual gifts. We're going to look at them together. Then he's going to give us information and teach us about God's will in relation to getting along with others. Kind of like the world's a big sandbox, right? We all need to get along with each other. That's God's desire, that we might bring the love and joy of Jesus Christ into people's lives. He's going to teach us that. He's going to teach us God's will in relationship, get this, to your enemies. How do you treat your enemies? And already, if you've read ahead, you have read something where it says you can heap coals on their head, coals of fire on their head. And you're like, I can't wait for that section. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's not that way at all. But we'll get to that. Then he's going to teach us God's will in relation to the government. And if you want the weight of what we're going to learn there, just think three letters. I-R-S. <laughs> That'll put it in perspective for you. And he's going to teach us God's will in relation to the weaker Christians around you. How do you deal, how do I deal with those that might be weaker in the faith around me? Do I care about them? Do I temper my actions and my lifestyle so that I won't stumble the weaker brother? Or am I just interested in myself and I don't really care about the weaker? We're going to get into that as well. But I want you to see right away that in verse 1, he says, I beseech you, therefore. 
Therefore, you might want to mark the word therefore. You might want to look for that word throughout the New and the Old Testament because whenever you come across the word therefore, you want to find out what it's there for. It's a connection word. I mean, we don't use that word at the beginning of a sentence. Do, do you? You know, if I'm introducing you to someone, I, hey, this is, therefore, this is my wife, Marie. And you're like, therefore what? Like, I, I'm cool, I can meet, but therefore, we don't use that word. But we do use it when we connect, and that's what Paul's doing here. He says, listen, the word therefore, kind of, you could kind of interpret it this way. Because of everything that I've just said, now learn this. And it could refer to just the section, therefore, after Paul had, remember, ended chapter 11 with this great worship of God, and he's, after you're worshiping God, therefore, we're just so caught up in the love and the grace of God, consider these actions, or this word, therefore, could connect chapters 1 through 11. After all that we've learned, therefore, I have action for you. Of those two options, I choose the latter. I think he's referring to the entire book of Romans up to this point. He's just finished a time of great personal worship, and he's just like, okay, 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 therefore, there's action. All that we know now, it's time for action. So when you see the word therefore, just remember, it's a connection. It connects us backwards to what has been said earlier. And so either way, what we're going to about to learn in Romans chapter 12 is predicated on our understanding of God's love for us, his dying for our sins. We have that underlying foundation that we have a love relationship with God, not one motivated by guilt. So he says, I beseech you. You might want to mark that word as well. You're going to circle every word by the time we're done. But this word is the word beg. It's the strong word that Paul uses to beg us to action. This isn't Paul demanding us. It doesn't say, I command you, therefore. I demand you, therefore. He says, I beg you guys. I beg you to consider what I have to say, what I have said and what I have to say. And you know it's a tough spot when you get to a place with a friend or a loved one where you're begging them to get it. You're begging them to listen. You're begging them to receive. You're begging them. It's a tough spot because what you're sharing with them, they obviously don't want to receive, but you know from your perspective, they've got to receive it. They're on a bad path. It's going to end in disaster. It doesn't have to be negative. They're at a good place, and they don't want to move from that good place. They just want to stay there. They just want to hang out there. They don't want to grow anymore. They don't want to be stretched. You go, no, no, I beg you. It's worth it. Be stretched and grow. Step out in faith. Go for it. Give yourself to the Lord. That's where Paul is. He's begging, not commanding, not demanding, even though he could as an apostle. He had the authority to. He could have said, you know what, guys? This is unquestionable. You don't have a choice here. But Paul, knowing, inspired by the Spirit, you do have a choice here of whether to follow through and present yourself to God. And so do I. The word for beseech here is interesting. It's the Greek word parakaleo. For those of you that are Bible students, that's a familiar word, isn't it? It's the same word that John uses in John's gospel to describe the Holy Spirit. That he's the helper, the comforter, the counselor. Para simply means to come alongside. Kaleo, to render aid. And Paul says as a pastor, he says, I want to come alongside of you to render aid. I want to help you along in this path. I want to get you in the right direction. I want to point you in the right direction. I want you to notice, too, the basis of his appeal here. As we move in, it's, the motive isn't just to discover the will of God. It's because it's the right thing to do. 
We'll consider more on this motive next time when Pastor Ed Taylor returns to Romans. It's a high and compelling motive for doing the will of God. Thanks for joining us for Abounding Grace. To give this a second listen, all you need to do is visit AboundingGraceRadio.com. Or you can listen through our app, and that can be found by searching for Calvary Aurora. Abounding Grace is made possible through the generosity of our listeners. Each gift that comes in serves to help us pay for radio time and production costs. And think of this. You'll be helping thousands all over the world learn about God's amazing grace and how to grow by it. And today, when you give a donation of $25 or more, we'd like to say thanks by sending you a useful resource. It's A Tale of Three Kings by Gene Edwards. I'm sure we've all experienced pain, loss, or heartache at the hands of other believers, and it can be a confusing time. But rather than turn bitter and angry, you can experience healing and hope. Gene Edwards looks at David, Saul, and Absalom. I know you'll be touched as you read this incomparable story. Just call 877-30-GRACE to make your request and donation today. We'll pick up where we left off in Romans next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. May God richly bless you with His abounding grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado.